So this is my second to last sermon at Grace Chapel. It's pretty hard to believe that, I think. And in, uh, March, on March 26th, that'll be the last time I preach. That'll be our last Sunday here. And I'm going to step aside from the Gospel of John and the series we've been doing in John. And I'm going to be in Acts 20. And so if, you're a, if you'd like to read ahead, Acts 20, Josh, the next two weeks is going to be John 16, John 17. So that's just a little forecast of what's coming. But for today, I can't think of a better passage to preach than this one, John 15, at this stage in the life of this church. Grace Chapel is at an intersection, right? An intersection of past and future. And intersections can be really good things. You know, at an intersection, you're sitting there, and you can determine which way to go to get to your desired destination. Intersections can also be dangerous. You could take the wrong turn and not make it to your destination. Or as so often happens in intersections, you could crash and you could burn. So it's very important for Grace Chapel to settle, for us to settle, for you to settle what you want to be in the future and not six months from now and not two years from now, but today. John 15 is just the passage to get you through the intersection. In John 15, we see this beautiful summary of the Christian life. And it's articulated with the metaphor of a vine and branches. And here's the main point that Jesus is going to tell us today with his own words. Abide in the vine to bear fruit. And what we're going to see is what he's saying is, is stay connected to me. Stay in relationship to me and help other people get into relationship with me. That's it. That's the whole point of this thing. So Grace Chapel, if you do that, if you do those two things, you will do well. So we're going to look at those two things today. Abiding in the vine, bearing fruit, and at the end we're going to talk about what is the means or the vehicle to get us there. So I'm, I'm mixing two metaphors, right? Traveling, and I'm using Jesus' metaphor, vine and branches. So look at John 15 with me. We'll read it all together, and then we'll, we'll go back. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, or literally cleans, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, there's that word again, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So Father, we hear your word this morning. We hear the voice of Jesus and we ask that we would hear, receive it, and obey it for your glory. Amen. So here's the background to the passage. In the Old Testament, very often, several times, Israel was called the vine. God planted them. And and God planted Israel to be a light to what? The world, right? They were to bear fruit. They weren't to take what God had given them and keep it for themselves, but they were to be a nation for God who would bear fruit. And over and over and over they failed. And, throughout, and there's times in the prophets where Israel is called a bad vine. Or they, they bear rotten fruit. And so now Jesus comes onto the scene and he tells them, I'm the vine. I'm the true Israel. I'm the one who will be a light to the nations. I'm the one who will bear fruit. And people will come to me and come to God. And so that's the background for what he's saying. So we're going to talk about abide in the vine and bearing fruit. First one, abide in me. What comes to mind when you think of the word abide? Just think about it for a second. We're going to come back to that. Verse 5 is a pretty good summary of the whole passage. Look at what he says again. I am in the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How often have you heard of that verse and someone say, well, it means to like rest in Jesus and just, you know, Greg last week, warm, fuzzy shepherd Jesus. Do you remember that? When we think of shepherd Jesus, we think of like warm, fuzzy Jesus and we think of abide, like, oh, abide in him. Just rest. It's like warm, fuzzy Jesus. But to abide in him means to be in continual unbroken relationship with him demonstrated by obedience to Jesus. So when we hear the word abide, we think of something passive, right? Just abide. But Jesus is saying, remain in me. And here's how we know that. Listen, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words in you, then he goes on to talk about prayer. He's saying, do you hear my teaching? And what were Jesus' teaching? Was it ever passive? Was he ever calling you to do something passive? It's always active. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So he's not saying, 
you know, take a sabbatical, take a Sabbath and rest and just camp out, you alone, and just abide. He's saying, obey, obey me. So when you hear the word abide, think obedience. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And if you know Colossians 3, it's in the context of what? A whole lot of obedience, a whole lot of love, a whole lot of speaking the gospel to each other and encouraging each other and loving one another, doing exactly what Sam just talked about. Active self-sacrifice for the good of others. To abide is to obey. So it's a lot messier than we think. One more verse, verse 14 in this chapter. You are my friends if you do what I, what? Command. So the opposite must be true. You are not my friends if you don't do what I command, if you don't obey me, if you don't abide in me. So to abide is to obey. So when you think of abiding in Christ, remember what Jesus says. Hear my words, listen to my voice, do what I say. I mean, that's really a good summary of the Christian life. It's pretty simple. It's not always easy to do, but that's the nuts and bolts. Hear the voice of Jesus, listen to him, obey him. Now this, is, this produces something. Bear fruit. This is the bulk of the, the sermon here. Think about this question. What is your life product? What's your life producing? Right. You, hear, you see the image of a grapevine. That's what Jesus is talking about. These branches are coming out of this vine, and what's produced? Grapes. What does your life produce? So the logic of the passage is pretty simple. When you abide in Jesus, when you obey Jesus, you will produce fruit. Fruit will come. What kind of fruit are we looking for? What's the first one, Sam? Actions. Actions. And what were you talking about up here? Love. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And then verse 12, this is my commandment, that you what? Love. Say it louder. Love. love. That you love one another, just as I have loved you. So Jesus wants us to love. Now, when you obey Jesus, you love him. And so here's the advantage of an organic metaphor. Um, how should I put it? A non-mechanical metaphor. Sorry for all you... Uh, engineers out there, mechanical engineers, or mechanics. I'm sorry, Michael. Here's the advantage. When you obey Jesus, you do produce fruit. The fruit is love. But what is obedience? It's, it's love. It's, it's so mixed together. Because when you look at a plant, you often can't tell what's a branch and what's the vine and what's fruit. It's together, right? It's organic. And the same stuff is flowing through the vines. I don't understand the, the terminology. I'm not a botanist or whatever, but it's, it's all going through the plant. It's one. And so Jesus is saying, obey me. What it means to obey me is to love people. And what it is when you obey me that you're producing is love. If you abide in me, you will remain in me. To remain in me means to love me. It's so mixed together, which on the surface you might say that really complicates things. I think it simplifies things. Hear the words of Jesus. Obey. Love. What do you produce? More and more love. That's the first thing. Look at the second thing, verse 16. He uses the word fruit again there. You did not choose me, 
but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So the little phrase there, go and bear fruit, what Jesus is implying is disciple-making. You should go and bear fruit. There's two clues in the Gospel of John that, that imply, help us to see that Jesus is implying disciple-making. Chapter 4, verse 35. You don't have to turn there. But you know that section. That's when Jesus is with the, the woman at the well, and uh, she comes to, to know and recognize him as the Messiah, and then what does she do? She scurries off to go back to her hometown, and all of a sudden, all these Samaritans come to Jesus. And the disciples are wondering what's going on. And Jesus says to them in chapter 4, verse 35, Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. They're coming in. This is what Israel was supposed to do throughout the whole Old Testament. Now Jesus is doing it. The Samaritans are coming in. And then in chapter 12, which Mike preached on several weeks ago, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is talking about a couple of Gentiles who want to see him. They said, sir, uh, they're talking to Philip, and they said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Jesus says, Unless a grain of wheat dies, he's talking about himself, the whole world won't come. And that's what he came to do. But these Gentiles, they are their first fruits of the harvest that are going to come in when Jesus dies. And so throughout John, what we see is this correlation between fruit and people who are coming to know him. And so Jesus tells us, he tells his disciples, I want you to go. I chose you for that. I chose you to go and bear fruit so that fruit can abide. And at the end, there'll be this harvest of people, people from every tribe, nation, people, and language who will come and know Jesus. So disciple-making is the central fruit-making activity. That's what love should lead to, making disciples, harvesting people. There's lots of things that can go on in a church, but church activity is not mainly what we should be about. It's people. It's finding those people who aren't, who aren't connected to the vine yet. So we go. There's a lot of things going on in the church. There's a lot of things that are going to be going on with a new pastor coming in. And a lot of good things. But the main thing is disciple making. The main thing is bringing in a harvest of people who will be connected to Jesus. And then go and do what? Harvest more people. You see how that works? What do plants do? They seed themselves, right? And then all of a sudden you look at your garden and you're like, holy cow. There's more plants. That's the organic metaphor. That's the advantage of the metaphor. So how are we doing? How are you doing? How's your life product? Are you making disciples? Grace Chapel is a church. Are we making disciples? And if we're honest, we, we know that there's always room to grow, right? But it's so easy for us as a, as a church, as a North American church, to slip into maintenance mode. Right? We slip into this, well, if we were just built up first, if we just had really good uh, discipleship first, we kind of use that as an excuse, then we'll live on mission. Well, if we could just build up the body first, 
Here's a challenge. Do you want to grow in your faith? Share the gospel with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And then you can come back and talk to me and tell me about how you grew during that experience. You know, the disciples were with Jesus for three years, and he sent them out on a few short-term mission trips. They had no clue what they were doing. There's some of you who are going on a short-term trip this year, this summer. Some of you have no clue what you're doing, and that's okay. That's how this works. So as we live on mission, as we go and try to bear fruit, trusting the Lord for the results, you will grow. So don't get into the, the maintenance mode. We have to maintain what we have, and then in the future, someday, we will bear fruit. Jesus says it, it goes together. It goes together. And it's only when the person and work of Jesus, when he's central, that we can do this, right? Look at verse 13. He said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So he's moving away from the metaphor, and he starts to get into how this works. He's saying, I'm going to die for you. And then he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. You do that too. You want to love people? You want to make disciples? Sacrifice yourself for them. Lay down your life for them. Live in such a way that the world would look at you and say, you're nuts. You're crazy. You'd lay down your life for me. You'd do that for me. You'd sacrifice for me. People will notice. So Jesus did this. He did this to save you from your sin, from the wrath of God, to give you eternal life with him. But he also did it as an example. Right? Jesus' method for discipleship is to tell the truth in love and then lay down his life for his friends. And that's what we do for people too. Now, two remaining, or one remaining question as it relates to fruit, a pretty important one. What are the consequences for failing to bear fruit? Some of you probably squirmed a little bit when I read that part, right? Jim, you're nodding your head. Like, the branches that get thrown away into the fire and burn. Verses 2, verses 6. Let me say this loud and clear. Failing to bear fruit of love and disciple-making doesn't cause you to lose your salvation, right? Can I say that loud and clear? Throughout John, what does John say? No. You can't lose what you didn't earn. John 3, John 6, John 10, it's all over the place. And Jesus here, he's saying, I chose you. What's going on when Jesus says these branches are going to be thrown away, what he's making clear is that there are no true Christians without some measure of fruit. You're going to have some fruit. So don't think about the branches on the ground. Think about the branches that are on the vine. You know, we tried our hand at gardening a couple years ago. We were terrible at it. It was awful. Our whole garden was thrown into the fire. It was so bad. Mary Daler would be so disappointed. But there were some branches on there that had really pitiful fruit. They didn't look good. They didn't taste good. They were D minus fruit. But they were still fruit. Right? I didn't eat it, but <laughs> that's where the analogy breaks down. We had some gnarly looking peppers. We had some tomatoes that never got quite red. We, 
But there was something there. And so Jesus' analogy, you know, he says, you're already clean. Don't worry about that. I got your eternity taken care of. I don't want you to focus on the ones on the ground. I want you to know that everyone in me will bear fruit. That much is clear. Go and bear fruit. By this, my Father is glorified, verse 8 says, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. When there's fruit, you prove. You don't cause your connection to Jesus. You just prove that you're with him. When you start to do what he did, love, lay down his life, you prove that you know him. When there's authentic love, when there's authentic self-sacrifice, you can bet that the person you're seeing or you is connected to Jesus. So what's your fruit? What's your life product? How are you doing? I mean, there's too, too many people right now in the room for us to get into the details of that. Ask yourself. Ask your spouse. Ask your parents. Parents, ask your kids. How's your life product? Are you bearing fruit? All right, now what's the means to get us there? What's the vehicle to get us through the intersection? And that's back at verse 16. And in, in verse 7. Uh, this stops me dead in my tracks. So I'm going to read verse 7 and verse 16 again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How many of you really believe that? You weren't supposed to raise your hands. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So what kind of a prayer request is this? What kind of an ask is this? It's not some kind of carnal, materialistic, self-centered ask. I would really like that promotion so that I can buy a bigger house. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Right? We all agree on that. He is talking about kingdom-centered, discipleship-oriented, mission-minded, darkness-attacking prayer asks. Big asks. He's saying, you will abide in me. You will bear fruit so that whatever you ask, it will be done for you. Are you asking for disciples? Are you asking for fruit? That's what Jesus is getting at. So here's a question. I've been asking myself this question for probably a few months and all week. It's devastating. Are you honoring God because of the size of your requests or are you insulting him? You probably ask God for a good day. He can give you a good day. That's easy. I mean, who's guilty of that one, right? Give me a good day. I think God is saying, as a father would say, give me some specifics. What do you want? Who's in your office? Who's in your classroom? Who's in your neighborhood that you want to come into the harvest? Are you insulting God because of the size of your requests, or are you honoring him? It's an honoring thing to God to ask him for things that only he can do. And that's what Jesus is saying. Ask whatever you wish, and my Father will give it to you. The scriptures also say, you do not have because you do not ask. 
And in another place, Jesus said, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Here's a God, here's a Father who's waiting for you to ask him for those people that you know that he wants to know. Will you ask for them? Will you pray for them? Well, they're just not responsive. Jesus said, go and bear fruit so that whatever you ask, my Father will give you. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, we're not going to get into, well, does God answer every prayer positively? We know that he doesn't, and he has his own reasons for that. But you don't know what those reasons are, and you don't know what the outcomes are. So ask anyway. Ask him. There won't be a harvest apart from prayer. Ask big, because God loves to give big. So, you're at an intersection. Carly and I are going one way, and you guys are going another way. Which way will you go? Will you abide in Christ? Will you bear much fruit? Will you ask big? He can give big, and he wants to give big. Ask him for big things, and you'll see it. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that your son is the true vine, that you're the vine dresser. We thank you that if we're connected to you, we're going to produce the same kinds of things that Jesus produced. We pray that you would bring through Grace Chapel a multitude of disciples. Not, not necessarily people coming from other churches or, or uh, Christians who are trying to find a new place to worship. We thank you for those people, but we, we're praying and asking you big for those people in the capital region, in Clifton Park, around the world who don't know Jesus, have, they want nothing to do with Jesus, and would you use this congregation to go and bear fruit? And I, I bet right now there's so many names in neighborhoods, families, workplaces, classrooms, gyms, uh, coffee shops. Of, we're thinking of people who aren't connected to the vine. Give us the courage to ask you for them, to ask big, to go and love and trust you for the fruit. We thank you for that. And I pray uh, as Grace Chapel goes into the future, as Josh uh, leads as the other elders lead with him, that you would be merciful and gracious to make John 15 and the vine and the branches a, a, a continual compelling metaphor to them as the way they should live and function in a dark and needy world. You're good. You're wonderful. You're big enough to do all these things and we ask them and we trust that it is your good pleasure to do it. In the name of Jesus and for his glory, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Well, I think it's time for communion.
That's what it says on the bulletin, right? I think. You know, so we gather here. Uh, we gather to feast. We gather to remember that what Christ did on the cross was sufficient, that it was enough. Again, as Jesus said to his disciples, you are already clean. He's going to the cross to pay for your sins, to bring you in to relationship with the Father so that you might always be connected to him and, and bear fruit. So as you come, uh, this is not the table of Grace Chapel. You know, this is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a member here. Um, you don't have to be a member of any particular Christian denomination or network. Uh, if you trust in Christ as your Lord and your Savior, no matter how much fruit you think you may or may not be bearing, this table is for you. So I'm going to invite the band to come uh, when I give you guys the cue. And then everybody else, as you're ready, come. So on the night that he was betrayed... You know, the Lord Jesus, he took bread, he broke it, and he said, this bread is my body, which is given for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And we know in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, whenever you drink this bread and this cup, you proclaim the gospel, the death of the Lord, until he comes. Until he comes when that great harvest will come in. So why don't you take a moment to pray, prepare your heart before you come. Ben, you can come now. And then everyone else, as you're ready, come to the table and feast on the Lord Jesus who gave himself up for you. And let, let the taste of the bread and the taste of the drink remind you, as surely as I can taste this right now, I know, Jesus died for me. He died for me. Well, Father, we do thank you that you gave up your son, your only son whom you love. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly went to the cross. Uh, we thank you that you said, you know, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, and I will take it up again. So we thank you that we remember your death uh, and also, your life, you are alive right now. You are reigning on the throne next to your Father. And we cannot wait until you come back. And we can feast with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. With a harvest of people from every tribe and every nation, every people group, every language will be seated around the throne, worshiping you. So as we come, would we remember the sufficiency of your death, your goodness, your grace, your forgiveness for us, and the fact that you are with us now, living your life in and through us, that we might bear fruit for your glory. Amen.